right, good morning, friends. Let me be the, the latest to wish you a happy new year. Don't know all of what 2017 has in store, but I'm very grateful that whatever it brings, I'll have this church community to be a part of, to walk through it together. And I'm very grateful for that, grateful to be with you all this morning. Uh, another thing coming up in 2017, next week, we will be kicking off our winter teaching series here at The Journey on the book of Job. Maybe because we figure winter isn't bleak enough, let's look at Job. But no, seriously, actually, I think it'll be a tremendously encouraging teaching series that we'll walk through. It's called Unshakable as we look through, look at the life of someone who, whose faith endured through unspeakable trials. So come on back next week and join us as we kick off that series. For today, kind of a, a one-off sermon for New Year's Day, we're going to talk about making a fresh commitment to Scripture, a fresh commitment to Scripture. Uh, I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution kind of person. I'm not, actually, because my early attempts all failed. If you are, I think this would be a great one to make a fresh commitment to reading Scripture. If you're not a resolution maker, it's still important to make commitments in our lives, and I think this is a great commitment worth making and a fresh invitation that I think God has for each and every one of us to know Him deeper uh, day by day. I just, I just love that... Um, chorus we sent, where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Just touches me in a deep way. And, and as I think about 2017, I realize for me now, it's been 20 years since I began reading scripture, began reading the Bible for myself. It started 20 years ago. I remember I, I showed up at a, a Christian fellowship on my college campus and I didn't have a Bible of my own, but somebody noticed that her name was Lisa Volkening, and she noticed I didn't have a Bible, so she went out and bought me one. So next time, she said, here, I thought you might, you might want a Bible of your own. One of the greatest gifts anyone's ever given to me. And I enjoyed uh, learning about it with other people, talking about it with other people. But then I would get home uh, to my room, and, and I'd try to open it up and, and flip. Th- I'd be like, what do I do with this thing? Like, where do you start? Like, how do you make sense of this? This is huge, and it's weird and like what do you what do you do with it and so I would kind of ask around to my friends like what what do you what do you like do with this and another friend from that Christian fellowship whose name was Liz Borghese at the time now Liz Joyle my wife she gave me a little devotional guide called sinking your roots in Christ and it had like 30 studies that uh, with questions and, and guidance, and I, and I just started my, my way in to this book. And 20 years later, it's been a regular habit almost every day for me to, to read the Bible. And I have to tell you that at this point, I, I am as awestruck as ever with this book, with these words. I probably experienced more wonder reading scripture than I ever have these days. And so I'm passionate about inviting you to make a fresh commitment to reading scripture. Now, I realize in a, in a church like this, there's probably some of you who already do that, and you're very committed, maybe even more committed and, and disciplined than I am, and you're probably thinking, well, no, duh, I already am committed to reading scripture. Well, I hope today will be encouraging for you in that journey and in the commitments that you are making and that you are pursuing with the Lord. I imagine there are some of you who, who reading the Bible, reading scripture is really not a regular part of your life, and you may be wondering, why should, why should it be? Why should I do that? And there are probably some of you in a church now, I'm sure there are also some of you who, who just the mention of kind of a commitment to regular Bible reading makes you feel kind of bad because you think, oh, well, of course I know I should, but 
I've struggled with it. I struggled to be consistent. I tried to have a commit. I was committed once, and not- it's just been a struggle. And, and I really hope that today will be encouraging for you. This is not, uh, I'm not going to prescribe a regimen for you. And, and honestly, like the amount of time you spend reading the Bible is not like a, a marker or a qualification to be loved by God. God loves every one of us, regardless of our number of hours spent reading Scripture, and His invitation is fresh to each one of us today. And there is no actual prescription in the Bible. We'll get a little practical later on, but mostly today I want to share kind of just a vision for a life shaped by Scripture, because that's most of what is actually in the Bible. There are no regiments laid out. There is no command, thou shalt read the Bible X amount of minutes a day or or something like that. There's nothing like that. As a matter of fact, for for most of church history, uh, throughout the centuries and throughout the world, the, the vast majority of Christian believers have been illiterate. So they don't uh, like so reading the Bible is not like a qualification to be loved by God or to be saved or to be uh, justified in His sight. Many people have been shaped by Scripture in lots of ways by listening to it. Uh, and in illiterate cultures, you notice there's a lot of Christian art that's to tell the story of Scripture through through art, through visuals. Uh, I've recently met a little boy, a beautiful little boy who's uh, my in-law's foster son right now, who, who's kind of just way behind in, in his reading level and, and struggles to read, but he started listening to, to kid Bible stories on the, in the Bible app, and he's just soaking it up, soaking it in, and falling in love with Scripture. It's a beautiful thing. And in a lot of uh, kind of oral cultures, people tend to be able to remember by listening a whole lot more, and to, just by listening and, and coming under the teaching and the reading of Scripture, just absorb it. And, and resolve to live by it. But for our purposes today, we, we will talk about reading God's Word because we have such unparalleled access to it in our culture, in our, in our day and age today. We have, we have many, many different versions of the Bible. It's on our, all our devices. And we also have unparalleled access to other stuff, other voices, unparalleled access to advertising, to media, to our phones, uh, to 24-7 news cycle, all sorts of other voices that can shape our minds, shape our thinking, shape our hearts and our ideas. Uh, but I want to share just a, a little vision for what it's like to be shaped by God's Word, which comes in our day and age, I think, through a lot of intentional attention paid to it and set aside to look at it. So if you would turn with me, we're going to look at two psalms today, and we're going to start with Psalm 1, the very first psalm. Which in many ways is a, a vision for a life of one shaped by Scripture, shaped by the Word of God. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." There's a, a sharp contrast of images here meant to draw out a, a, a deep contrast. You've got this tree on the one hand, that's our, that's our image for today, just a beautiful, flourishing, fruitful tree planted by streams of living water. It's, it's strong, it's alive, 
It's vibrant, it bears fruit, and it endures through all sorts of circumstances and seasons. Contrasted with chaff, now chaff is, I believe, a part of a wheat stalk or something that someone probably knows more about this than I do, but it basically is useless. It's the part of the wheat that you don't use, and you take the thing out of the wheat that is useful, and the chaff just blows away. It's dead. It has, once it's once it's chaff, it's actually it's not a living thing anymore. It's easily blown away, and it, it's dead. It has no life in it. Uh, the person whose life is shaped by Scripture, shaped by the Word of God, is like that tree here we see, flourishing, alive, fruitful, able to endure, able to withstand, uh, as opposed to the chaff. And I guess I've, I've watched enough people live out their Christian faith over the long haul now. I've worked with, in campus ministry for a long time, watched people walk well into adulthood who had a, a relationship with Jesus. Uh, some of my peers and other people that I've been part of communities with, I've watched them walk out their faith over the long haul. And I've seen some people endure. I've seen some people last. I've seen some people have a Christian walk that's more and more full of life, more and more life-giving, and more and more fruitful over time, and and a walk that endures through all sorts of different seasons of life. And I've seen some people whose, whose faith journey just sputters out and is more like chaff, kind of easily blown away when things get hard, just lacks fruitfulness, and kind of stops being filled with life. And I hate to oversimplify things, but if there is one thing, one thing that I have seen be the major difference maker between a a life that continues to flourish and grow and bear fruit over the long haul and a life with God that that just kind of floats away and dies. It is an ongoing commitment to be shaped by the words of Scripture. It's a a vibrant, alive, ongoing relationship with God by way of Scripture. And again, it can take all different kinds of forms. It doesn't have to be a a, a tremendously set pattern, but it's more uh, a posture towards Scripture. Those who continue to come under the authority of Scripture, who continue to find wonder in Scripture, who continue to look to it to learn and to be taught, they continue to grow and thrive and bear fruit in their Christian walk. Those who maybe get bored with it or decide perhaps that they know better than the Bible. Come to it to be its authority rather than to come under it. Even people who've done great things for Jesus, people I've seen plant churches, once they kind of stop coming under the beauty and the, and the authority of Scripture, uh, any Christian life can fall apart. And so I really, I'm passionate about this. I want to really encourage you to make a fresh commitment to your own life with Scripture, whether it's beginning on day one today or whether it is, it's year 50 uh, it's an ongoing thing that we're invited to for our whole, our whole lives. And I want to look at one more psalm, actually, that talks about the Word of God. And this is Psalm 119. If you turn there, we will not look at the whole thing. Uh, does anyone know what is distinctive about Psalm 119? Well, yeah, it's wicked long. It's 176 verses long. It is more than twice as long as the next longest chapter in the Bible. By far the longest chapter in all of Scripture by by a lot, Psalm 119, and it is all about how wonderful God's Word is. The longest thing, the most eloquent and, and, and kind of lengthy ode in the whole Bible is to the beauty and the, and the truth of God's words. 
So we will look just at the first eight verses that I want to read to you now. It says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Kind of sounds a lot like Psalm 1. Blessed are those who, who walk according to the law of the Lord, who delight in it. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Those are the first eight verses of Psalm 119. And you kind of get the drift just by this point. God's law is really good. God's words are great and to be obeyed. If you're like me and you value concise communication, this would probably do. But it goes on for 176 verses like this. And when you first come across it, like when I did, it it could seem like just a a long, rambling series of statements uh, that that just ramble, go on with no real connection to one another about, about God's word. But that's in English. Now, in Hebrew, this is actually a beautiful poem. And... Actually, these first eight verses I read, each line, each verse begins with the Hebrew letter Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then the next eight verses begin with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the next eight with the next letter, all, all, so on and so forth. So it's sort of like uh, an ode to God's word from A to Z, or in this case, from Aleph to Ta, just finding any and every way to state how wonderful God's word is. So think about something you love and if you were to write like an ode of tribute to it. So, so, so that guitar belongs to Phil. Phil plays that guitar. I think he does a great job at it for us. And so imagine Phil wants to write an ode to his guitar. And, and so we'll, come up, we'll start with just you know, eight things that start with the letter A. Like, as much as a man can love a musical instrument, so I love my guitar. <laughs> Any time, day or night, is a great time to hold my guitar in my hands. Uh, after a long day of work, I can't wait to just come home and shred. Uh, <laughs> amazing is the feeling of holding my guitar in my hands. Absolutely perfect are the designs of its frets and its curves. Uh, anxiety and stress melt away as I play my guitar. All other musical instruments pale in comparison to my guitar. Ask me what I think of my guitar, I will tell you, I love it. I think that's eight. So, and then just imagine, you go, we go through B and C and, and so on and so forth. We're, I'm, we're not looking for economy of words here. This is just, this is gushing, overflowing, a passionate ode and tribute to something lovely and wonderful. That's kind of the gist of Psalm 119, except it's much more beautiful than what I just said. And it is about a much more profound object of tribute, which is God's word. It's all about his law, his word, his statutes, his precepts. All of these things are named in Psalm 119. They're all synonyms, basically, for the Hebrew word Torah, which is just God's word, that which he has revealed and communicated to us and spoken to us and, and let us know about himself. And I made a little slide of just some, some words that are associated with 
with God's word in Psalm 119. This is just kind of a sampling. It's good. It's wonderful. It's right. It's righteous. It's true. It's trustworthy. It preserves life. It gives wisdom and insight. It's eternal. It's sweet. It's comforting. It's a light and a lamp. It's better than silver and gold. It gives strength, brings joy, brings freedom, brings peace. This is just a sampling. But this, it's like this psalmist can't run out of great things to say about God's word. And interspersed with, with all of these things are heartfelt prayers on the psalmist's part. Kind of resolutions on his part that, yes, I will follow your law, I will obey your statutes. And then heartfelt prayers of desperation to God in the midst of it. Help me follow your laws. Help me follow your statutes because I can't do it on my own apart from you. When I first read Psalm 119, I thought, this is just long. And I, and I read into it a little ways, and, and again, I like concise communication. I just kind of put it away after a while. I was like, yeah, I think I get it. Now I read it, I'm almost disappointed when I get to the end. It, it resonates so deeply with my heart. I can't say enough good things, enough wonderful things about God's word, about that which he's revealed to us and communicated to us. Over 20 years, and, and this is the product of 20 years of regular time spent in God's word. It's not always spectacular, and it's not always what I feel like doing at that particular moment, that particular day. But over time, it, it's the byproduct of consistent, regular time. And all of a sudden, I find myself reading these words and, and resonating so deeply, so deeply with it. I've wrestled with hard passages in the Bible. I've wrestled with questions. I've wrestled with stuff I don't understand, stuff I don't get. And I've read the really encouraging and the really comforting stuff. And all of it continues to prove to be so right and so true. And I've gotten more and more immersed in the story of Scripture. It really, there's many books and many genres, all put, but it tells one story. And this story, the more and more I live and the more and more questions I ask of it and the more and more I compare it to the life and the world around me, it is just the story. It's the most beautiful and the most true story ever told. And the more deeply I get into it, the more wowed I am by it. So this is really just, this is vision for time in Scripture, vision for time in God's Word. Not, a, not necessarily a directive or, or a prescription, a vision for it. Now, I do want to share a few things uh, about how to approach Scripture, though. A lot of people read the Bible for a lot of different reasons, and it doesn't always have the desired effect that I think God wants it to have in our lives. So I want to share with you now just three postures towards the Bible that will, I think, help us to actually get from it what God wants us to get from it. The first is, don't read for compliance, read for delight. Don't read just for compliance, read it for delight. You don't get the sense that the writer of Psalm 119 would wake up in the morning and be like, oh, geez, I guess I have to have my quiet time right now. He wasn't interested in just checking the box like I did my reading for the day. Oh, I ought to read scripture because then I can prove to the other religious people I know that I'm like one of the good ones and uh, and justify myself that way. He's filled with delight in scripture. He's coming to it over and over again because he's convinced that it's true and that it's right and it's the path to life. Ultimately, we read in order to delight in God and to delight in his ways and his laws more than anything to delight in him and who he is and what he says, and to be convinced that it's right and that it's good, not just to be compliant. Now, I will say that it, it does take discipline to do this. 
So we don't read just to be able to check the box and say we did it every day or something like that. But discipline and delight, I think, go hand in hand. So we don't acquire a delight for God's word just by coming to it and reading it when we feel like it or reading the parts that we like exclusively. I think we come to a deeper and deeper delight of God's word by, again, regular habits of time spent in it. It builds up, it builds up. Delight and discipline go hand in hand. So I played soccer in high school, and I, I love the game. I love playing. It brings me great delight. Along with being part of the high school soccer team came a lot of running. Sprints, distance, long distance, middle distance, hills. I didn't so much like the running. And so when, when high school soccer was over, I kind of put the running aside. But later on, when I've come back and tried to play soccer games out of shape, it's not nearly so delightful. Realize, wow, that running, the, the discipline actually makes the game so much more delightful. Uh, the, the magnificent things I see in my head that I want to do on the field, I can't do if I can't run. Discipline leads to delight. Or if, if you're an artist or, or a master chef who can just whip up a beautiful meal in a kitchen, you don't just get to do that. It, it's the byproduct of tens of thousands of hours spent honing, practicing, committed, disciplined dedication to something. And I really think that the greater we devote ourselves in a disciplined and dedicated way to the Word of God, the more delight we begin to find in it becomes delightful. We like the, the outward delightful things. We love to hear from God when we need encouragement. We love to get a word from God when we need guidance or wisdom for direction on something. And he can provide that any time, really, in his grace. But I would say that when it's game time, and when you really need a word from God, when you really need to hear the voice of God, when you need to know the will of God in a situation, you are far, far more likely to recognize his voice if you're in a regular habit of listening to his words, listening to what he has to say, knowing who he is, knowing what he's already spoken and what he says already. Far more likely. And then it's delightful to come to, to great realizations, great encouragement, and to hear the voice of God directing our lives. But discipline and delight, they really go hand in hand. So I, when I say don't just try to be compliant, don't just try to be you know, a, a, someone who checks the box every day, I'm not saying don't be disciplined. We actually really have to fight for our time in God's word in a, in a world of a million distractions, a million other things that we can do that buy for our attention, things that we'd rather do. We've got to fight for it, but the ultimate goal is not just to make us compliant people, but to make us people who delight in God and delight in his story, delight in his ways. Second posture towards God's word is don't read for pride, Read for humility. Don't read for pride. Read for humility. Don't read the Bible just to reinforce what you already think and what you already know so that you can kind of use it as a weapon, so to speak. We come to the Bible to be changed and transformed in our thinking, not just to buttress and reinforce what we already think. The Bible makes us humble. And, and a tip I would give here to, to read the Bible for humility rather than pride is to read the whole thing. And I'm going to say this repeatedly. It's to read the whole Bible. If you haven't done that yet, I would so strongly encourage you to make that a, a commitment on your part. 
Read the whole thing. Do not just read the parts you like. Do not just read your favorite passages, your pet passages. Read the stuff that really challenges you. Really, that you don't get. Read the stuff that pushes you. Because that will make you humble. That will make you ask God for help. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for transformation. And it will, frankly, challenge and shape your thinking rather than you just reinforcing what you already know. Read the whole thing. The very end of Psalm 119, after all this, all this delight, verse 176, he lands here. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. For all his passion for God's word, all his commitment to try to live by it, it lands here. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek me. Seek me. The time spent in God's word for the psalmist led to a place of deep humility. And the more we get to know scripture, the more we get to know the God of scripture, the more humble a place it ought to bring us to. If we come away from scripture feeling like we know everything, we're probably not getting the point. But if we come away grateful to God, in awe of who God is, I think we're getting it. I think we are. And there's another reason to read the whole thing, is that, again, the Bible tells one story, and it's a story that that ought to humble us and not make us proud, because it is ultimately a story of how good and beautiful and wonderful God is, how rebellious and wicked and cruel humankind we are, are and can be, and how gracious and loving and patient God is to seek after us, to rescue us, and to make a way for us to know him. That's not a story that leaves us proud. That's a story that leaves us humble, grateful. And the more we get immersed in that story, it's a humbling thing. And that's the kind of effect that I think Bible reading ought to have on us. Third, don't read for information. Read for love. I'm quoting Jennifer Late here, who kind of summarized for me, I think, something I was trying to say. She said, don't read for information, read for love. Ultimately, a lot of Bible study and a lot of Bible knowledge without any love is an exercise in missing the point. There's almost nothing worse than someone who really can quote the Bible and is super knowledgeable about the Bible, but is absolutely unloving towards God and towards others. Ultimately, the Bible's intended effect on our lives is to lead to a deeper love of God and a deeper love of neighbor. Now, knowledge helps. We can't love somebody who we don't know, so the knowledge, the information in Scripture is vital to get to know this God, but ultimately, we're not reading to become smarty pants. We're not reading to be able to quote the Bible better than somebody else. We're reading to grow in love of God and love of our neighbor. So it's a good litmus test. If you find that happening, you're probably reading the Bible the right way. And I'm really hopeful that our, our study of Job will lead us to a much deeper love of God. So honestly, I've found that my love for God has grown almost the most through some of the most challenging parts of Scripture and through some of the most challenging circumstances of my life where I've tried to reconcile what God says is true in Scripture with what I see happening in my life. And as God proves himself to be right and true in these circumstances, my love for him is magnified, and I really hope that for our Job study. Job's not an easy book to look through. It's going to be, it'll, it'll stretch us. It'll be tough. And it will bring up, likely, a lot of tough things for us, personally. It's a, it's a story racked with suffering and pain and un, unexplained loss. It'll be t- it could be tough, but my prayer for us, for each of you and for our whole congregation as we look at Job, is that we'll come out of it with a much deeper love of God, who he is, and a much 
deeper love for one another, how to love one another through all of life's seasons and circumstances. If we do that, then I think we will have met our goal in studying Job, growing in love. So there's, there's my vision, there's my pitch to you, making a fresh commitment this year to spending regular time in God's Word. I'm not going to tell you how long, you know, for some of you, 10 minutes a day would be quite, quite a jump. For some of you, uh, you can do much, much more than that. For some of you, life circumstances, a daily thing is not even a good goal. Make your goal, like, regular. And then if you miss a day, it's not, it's not the end of the world. But make some kind of fresh commitment to God and to his word. And so I just want to leave you with a few practical tips, though. I don't want to tell you exactly what to do, how to do it, but I don't want to just leave you with that. So if you're looking for some tips and looking for some resources, I've got a few. One, you, one is to get a Bible. So if you don't have one already, we actually have some for you at the Welcome Center today that you can just have. Now, this is not for those of you who already have one you want to add to your collection. Don't take one, please. If you don't own one, though, please take one. Compliments of us. We want you to have one. We've got some whole Bibles, some New Testaments, uh, Spanish versions as well. Please take one if you don't have one. We'd love for you to have one. And then it's good to have some resources to go along with it. Like me, when I started, I, I, you know, again, I just looked at it and it was like, it might as well have been in the original Greek. I, I just didn't get it. Resources and tools are super helpful. And almost, I would say, I, you need them. I, it's almost dangerous, I think, to just send a bunch of individuals off to read the Bible for themselves and discover what it says to them. Like, there, there's actual right ways to read it, and there's actual context, and there's, there's ways to interpret the Bible correctly. There's ways to know why we take some commands literally binding for today and, and others we maybe don't read straight off the page. Like, we're not sacrificing bulls and goats, but we are saying that some Old Testament laws are binding today. Well, how do we know? We need help. There's right ways to read it, and we need resources. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a few. If you have resources that work for you, awesome. Don't worry about it. But here's some. So one, I actually love the, the YouVersion app on, on the phone or on whatever device you have. I, I wish it wasn't called YouVersion as if it's all about you, but there it is. It's a great app. It's good. So you can have the Bible with you at all times. And, and the thing I love about the YouVersion is two things, actually. It allows you to listen to Scripture while you read it. Uh, I've, I've tried doing that, and actually you can notice some different things as you listen to God's Word rather than just see it on the page. But also the version is filled with plans, Bible reading plans. So if you're, if you're like, yes, I want to make some kind of commitment to reading Scripture, but what do I do? There are so many on here. Bible in a year, Bible in two years, just a month study or a week if you'd rather start there. My wife Liz is doing a study through the book of Psalms right now. Two that I would recommend, they're up there. Uh, One is called For the Love of God. I like that name. For the Love of God. Read your Bible. but, But it's to help us love God more. So For the Love of God, it's a Bible reading plan put together by the Gospel Coalition to take you through the Bible in one year. So it it divides it up. You have some Old Testament and New Testament readings each day. I kind of prefer to do it that way. Some of you might read through the Bible all the way through, but I find that really hard. So I like this plan. It it takes you through in a year. And there's a little devotional as well where they'll expound on one of the passages and give you some insight into what, what it's saying. I love that. So if you're looking for a Bible in a year plan for the love of God, Really good. Two-year plan, 
This is the one I'm doing right now, actually, uh, through the Book of Common Prayer. You can also get a Book of Common Prayer on Amazon or, or anywhere. It is a book. Uh, it has prayers in it as well. But this takes you through the Bible in, in two years, and maybe that's a little more realistic, a good pace. And again, if you, if you land on one of these, if you decide to do a Bible in a year or a Bible in two-year plan, look, if it takes you like 15 months or 28 months, whatever, the fact that you're getting through it, that, that's wonderful. So please try not to be too consumed by the dates. And if you find that you're someone who, like just the, the checking of the box on the app is, is driving you crazy, it, it might be best to put, to put that aside if it's becoming like a, a legalistic thing for you. But these are great resources. Um, what's next? I don't remember what's next. Oh yeah, these are great. This is, these are two companion books put out by Zondervan. One is called How to Read the Bible Book by Book and how to read the Bible for all it's worth. These are just wonderful accompanying guides. If you're, if you're opening up your Bible to the Gospel of John, why not look in a book like this and get some insight? Uh, some kind of, it's pretty down-to-earth, simple, but, but deep and profound teaching. on How do you read the book of John? How do, what should I be looking for? What are the key themes? That kind of thing. These books are wonderful. Again, available at any kind of uh, online bookstore or place you can, you can buy books. Uh, another one that I would recommend, this is, um, this is a study called Casket Empty. It's written and developed by two professors that I learned from at Gordon-Conwell, Carol Kaminsky, Old Testament, and David Palmer, New Testament. Um, this is a great way to get to know the, the great story, the story, the, the overarching narrative of the Bible, Casket Empty. It's an acronym, actually. It stands for Creation, Abraham, Sinai, Kings, Exile, Temple, Expectations, Messiah, Pentecost, Teaching, Yet to Come. And there's all sorts of just little you know, memory devices that are kind of simple like that. It's very simple and down-to-earth, but incredibly profound as a way to get to know the whole narrative and the story of Scripture. And it's centered on that empty tomb, the whole story is centered on the Jesus who, who came and died and rose again and is alive and reigning today. Casket empty. And I, I, took, I studied from these people, and honestly, Carol's class in particular, the Old Testament, is the best class of any kind that I've ever taken in my life. So a worshipful experience that, um, as I encountered God in the, in the scriptures of the Old Testament. I don't know if reading the book will be quite that good, but I recommend that to you as well. These are just Paul's picks Right? If you remember Blockbuster or other stores, you know, the staff would have picks. They'd be happy if you, re- if you rented anything in the store, but these are your picks. I'd be happy if you did anything that got you into Scripture, but these are, these are just my picks and recommendations. One more is um, the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is beautiful. It's actually written as a children's book, and so for any kids in here or anyone who has kids or, or a, a niece or a nephew, you want to get reading the Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible is absolutely Beautiful, but I also recommend this to the grown-ups in the room. I know a lot of adults who've read the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it has given them deep and profound insights into the story of Scripture. It'll take you through all the big stories, all the major events of the Bible, and show how they all point to Jesus Christ. Sometimes, I mean, it, it might seem like kid stuff, but it's not. Absolutely not. It is a beautiful way to get to know the story of Scripture. I'd recommend it to people of any age in this room. And finally, one last... Oh, no, one, two more. Okay. And then there's, like, there's all these little books. These are, these are life guide Bible study guides. This is the kind of thing that Liz handed me when I was a freshman in college, Sinking Your Roots in Christ. 
They all have questions in them to get you thinking, little insights to help you enter into a passage, and a guide to take you through. There's all kinds. So there's some that are on particular books of the Bible. There are some that are on different themes or character studies, or if you're looking for wisdom or guidance or, or anything like that. There are all kinds. So if you, if you Google Life Guide Bible Study Guides, and they're super cheap, very affordable, these are also great resources to help you in your study of God's Word and get the most out of it. Finally, yeah, this is it. The last resource I would recommend to you, that, that's us. Just one another. I did a little informal survey of some people in our church leading up to this, and, and you know, there are literally thousands and thousands of collective years of Bible reading experience represented in this room here. I've just shared with you my picks, but there are a lot of people in here who've been reading the Bible a lot longer than I have, a lot of people who are growing and flourishing in their Christian walk, and I would say, just ask, ask people here, what do you do? How do you get the most out of Scripture? What's your Bible reading plan? Do you want it? Could we do it together? Ask people who you look up to, whose spiritual walk you, you would like to emulate more and more. How do you do, like, what do you use? Could we do it together? Find buddies, find, find friends and partners to hold you accountable. Ask people who are in similar stages of life as you as well. If, if you're uh, a parent with young children and you can't find the time, or if you're a, a scientifically-minded, skeptical kind of person, or an artist who can't stand structure, like, find people who, who are a little bit ahead of you in that spiritual journey and ask them, how do you get the most out of your walk with God? And it, receive mentoring from one another. There is so much collective experience and wisdom in this room. We weren't meant to just go off on our own and figure this stuff out. So take advantage of the greatest resource, which is actually the body of Christ, and all of the years, thousands of years of collective Bible reading experience that's in this room. So those are some practical tips, but I want to take us back again to the point of the whole thing, to become the people that God wants us to be, to be a flourishing tree planted by streams of living water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither and all they do they prosper i pray that for each and every one of you as you head into this new year and as the thing that makes the big difference is those whose delight is in the law of the lord and meditate on it day and night may that be true of us each and as a community let me pray Lord, at at this point, I really just want to stop talking. I want to give you a moment, God, to to speak by your Holy Spirit to anyone here who who needs some concrete nudge or direction or encouragement. A lot to take in. I pray that you would speak into each heart and mind, into each set of circumstances. Lord, an invitation uh, to know you more an invitation to dive into your word more, an invitation to delight in you more. I want to pray that uh, for anyone who, who feels the weight of having tried to read the Bible before and, and, or feeling like it's been a struggle, I pray you just break that off right now in Jesus' name and give a fresh start, a fresh start, Lord, filled with grace and not obligation, filled with delight and not pressure, I pray that you would open up the wonders of your word to each of us in this new year. That we would sing the praises of your words, sing the praises of the author of you 
most of all, and that we would grow in love for you, love for one another as we do that. And would you just make it work for each of us in the ways that we need help right now? We need your help. And I trust that you're a good, good father who will give that to us as we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.